Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. It is so good, like I said earlier, to see you. Happy New Year to you. Before first service, I slipped into the kids' classroom and just said hello to some of the volunteers in there and PG, and Nick Baker was in there, and he looked at me and he said, uh, he said, Who, who's preaching this morning? And I said, I am. He said, oh, I'm so glad I'm in here this morning. <laughs> Y'all, that hurts when you laugh at things like that. The things that I want you to laugh at, you don't, and then the things I do want to, anyway, so, uh, so I said to Nick Baker, I said, well, you know, I'm going to give it my best today. Hopefully I won't choke like Iowa. <laughs> oh, so you laugh when your pastor's made fun of, and then when your football team is made fun of, then you walk out, right? And you groan. Come on, I see how it is this morning. My wife loves football. I, I don't really care, but I'm watching it with her yesterday. She's passionately cheering on the Hawkeyes, and I look at her. And I said, babe, they're about to throw an interception. Y'all know what happened? The ball was snapped and they threw an interception and the game was lost. And she was like, you made that happen. I'm like, no, I didn't make that happen. There's no way I made that happen. But anyway, happy new year to you. And I, for those of you who've set a new year's resolution of being and having perfect attendance and in-person church today, congratulations, you're well on your way. You have made it to church every Sunday this year so far, and so congratulations to you. I missed last week, but I want to say thanks to Mark Mummify for preaching last week. Tremendous job. Watched the service online last week as we were in Memphis with our family. And I just say, the Lord has blessed our church with some phenomenal preachers. And so I'm grateful that when I step out of town on vacation that we have some people on staff as well as some lay leaders in our church that are anointed by God who passionately love his word and the delivery of his word. And last week was no exception to that. Mark, thank you for your willingness to do that and for, uh, for preaching such a powerful message. I'll tell you that I felt bad for Mark a few weeks ago. Because the Sunday leading up to the Christmas production, I had forwarded my manuscript on to Fisher so that they could put the scriptures online. And uh, I'm, we're standing here at our 8 o'clock pre-service prayer. And any of you are welcome to come at 8 o'clock for pre-service prayer. We just meet right here. And I'm telling those that are gathered for prayer, this is what I'm going to preach on this morning. And Pastor Levinsky's giving me this weird look. And I'm like, why are you, why are you looking at me like that? And he said, because that's what Mark was planning on preaching on the 26th. Mark had sent Levinsky his notes, and uh, I had not seen them. And I'm like, well, clearly he's not now because service is starting soon, and I, I'm not writing a new message. And so, Mark, my apologies. I know what goes into writing a message. I do that each week, and uh, my apologies for stealing what you were going to preach. But thank you for sticking with it and for preaching such a powerful message last week. Let's one more time express our appreciation to him. Well, yesterday kicked off a new year, and culturally, you're very aware of what happens, the ending of one year, the beginning of a new year, all kinds of people set New Year's resolutions, and I'll just tell you that this morning, I'm not going to preach about New Year's resolutions. Instead, I'm going to preach about something that I believe that if you'll engage in, will change your life. In fact, I believe that if you'll engage in it, it'll not only change your life individually, it can change our church collectively for the good. 
It's an activity that not only can, uh, can change our lives, but uh, it's something that Jesus treated as a normal spiritual discipline for followers of him. He, this is a, a, something that he expected that we would do. Each year we kick off the beginning of the year with an intentional time and focus on prayer and fasting. We invite everyone in the church to go on a journey with us of 21 days of prayer and fasting together. As I was driving to a local coffee shop in Memphis this past week, as we were spending time with our family, uh, it was foggy outside. The fog was thick. Visibility was limited, and my arrival at the coffee shop took longer than expected because of the limited visibility. This normal road that I've traveled hundreds of times that's normally so familiar took on an uncertain look. And I had to slow down and pay close attention to what was directly in front of me. And as I did, I arrived safely at my location. What an analogy for many of us in this room this morning. The past two years has led some to the fogginess, right? The fast pace of life, the hustle and bustle of the holidays. And it's time for many of us to slow down, to pay close attention to what's directly in front of us to arrive safely at our ultimate destination where we will hear the words of our master saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So back to the commute to the coffee shop, you know that it didn't stay foggy forever, right? Just like today, it's not gonna stay frozen tundra forever. How many know that was cold today, right? I mean, it's brutal. I pulled into scooters to get my iced coffee and instead I ordered hot coffee and she said, you're not getting iced coffee today? I said, no, I'm not walking across the parking lot of Fairway with a blizzard cold with a cold drink in my hand. I'm just not going to do it. If any of you want to chauffeur me up to the front door, uh, then I'll gladly get an iced drink today. But how many know it's not going to be cold forever, right? It's going to warm up. And that's exactly what happened in Memphis that day. The sun came out and it burned off the fog. And while it was limited visibility and it was foggy on the way to the coffee shop, on the way home, the fog had been burnt up and the, and the road was much clearer and my visibility was increased on the way home. Prayer and fasting is about spending time with the sun, right? And the more time that we spend with the sun, the more clarity we get. There are some of you who need to experience breakthrough in your life in this year. And I just want to say that I'm believing with you that as we join in prayer over the next 21 days and we fast over the next 21 days, that you're going to experience breakthrough. There are others of you who need a miraculous touch of God in your body. And I'm just going to believe with you that as we dive into 21 days of prayer and fasting, that you're going to experience the miraculous healing that, that you need. There are others of you who are wanting a closer relationship with Jesus, and I'm going to believe with you that over the next 21 days of prayer and fasting, that you're going to go to a new level with him and that you're going to experience that. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to lunch with some friends, and we uh, laughed so hard during that lunch. I have no idea even how long that we were there. None of us were looking at our watches while we were there because we were just laughing so hard. There were no alcoholic beverages at our table, but I guarantee you that the people around the restaurant were probably wondering what in the world is that table drinking because we were just having that good of a time at the table. And I'm telling you, there was nothing forced about it. It was not a burden. It was just pure delight. Here's what I'm believing for all of us over the next 21 days as we engage in prayer and fasting, that it'll be like this, 
that you won't do it begrudgingly and without joy. Instead, as you spend time in prayer and fasting, that the time will fly by because you are enjoying the presence of God that much. Right, as I prepared for this message today, like, I just believe that the Spirit dropped that word into my heart for some of you. Some of you look at spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting as something that you have to do begrudgingly, something that doesn't bring joy to your life. And I just want to speak this over you today, that as you engage in the next 21 days of prayer and fasting, that it'll breathe life and joy into you, that your pre- the, the time that you have in the presence of Jesus would be so sweet that you would be looking at your watch going, man, I don't want to go to work this morning. I just want to keep spending time with Jesus. Or it would come to whatever football game you want to watch at night or whatever show. You'd be like, I don't even want to watch that right now. I just want to continue to spend more time with Jesus because his presence is sweet. I just want to speak that over you and just challenge you in this season to dive in and see what God will do for you. Let's turn in our Bibles to a passage of scripture this morning in Matthew chapter 6. It's familiar to many of you and we're going to see what Jesus says about this subject of prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, it's also going to appear on the screen. We're going to begin reading in verse number 5. It says, and when you pray, you must be like the hypocrites, must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us, open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage begins with two things that we should do when it comes to prayer and two things that we shouldn't do when it comes to prayer. And then it goes on to continue with one thing that we shouldn't do when it comes to fasting and one thing that we should do when it comes to fasting. When it comes to prayer and fasting, motive is important. In the previous verses of Matthew chapter 6, he's addressing some people's desire to be seen as they're giving financial resource. And he was calling out the motive. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't do like that. They were wanting to be seen by others. The first thing that Jesus says not to do when it comes to prayer is to not be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Jesus isn't saying that you can't pray in church or the synagogues or on the street corners. Again, he's addressing the motive. Their motive was not to commune with God. 
Their motive was to be seen by others. They wanted others to think that they were more spiritual than what they actually were. And Jesus completely rejects this idea of parading one's piety in front of others. And Jesus basically says, I'm not impressed by this, and my father's not impressed by this. And this type of behavior does not lead to the reward from my father. Instead, he says this, when you do it that way, you're not doing it for my glory and for my reward. Instead, you're doing it for your glory and for the praise of people. And since you've received the perceived, the assumed praise of people, and that was your motive, then you've received your reward. He says, instead of worrying about how others think about your prayer life, why don't you just do what verse number six says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. I did a self-jogging, uh, self-study jogging class in college 20 years ago. Ha, 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 I know it's funny. Thank you. I just went ahead and went for it. I figured you would laugh there. And in that self-study, you had to log how many miles that you ran during that semester. And at the end of the semester, you had to be able to run a mile and a half in a certain amount of time. That was your final exam. And nobody's looking over your shoulder to see whether or not you're doing this. You could fudge the numbers and put whatever you wanted to. I'll tell you, I was a person of integrity, and so I wrote the, the miles that I did run. But how many know that Coach Hansen didn't have to look at your report of how many miles you ran that semester to know whether or not you ran those miles that semester? If you showed up and were out of breath after one time around the track, there's no way that you had done the homework leading up to it. So, and furthermore, if you were able to run around the track and you had done the work leading up to it, then it was clearly able to be seen. And here's just what I want to say when it comes to our prayer uh, lives this morning. If you're a person of prayer, you don't have to parade it around in front of people. They're going to know it. They're going to see it in you. And the Greek word for room refers to a small interior room without windows used for storage. The King James Version uh, translates it into the word closet, and this is where we get the phrase prayer closet from. The point of this metaphor is not that we should confine our prayers only to private places, but that we should pray with the sole motive of communion with God. In an isolated room, distractions are removed, and the focus of that moment becomes communion with God. The motive's not to be seen by others, but simply to see and to be seen by God. And Jesus says that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first do and don't is with the manner of prayer. The second do and don't that Jesus says not to do is found in verse number seven. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. So Jesus addresses the manner of prayer, and now he addresses the language of prayer. And he says, don't be like the Gentiles who just babble on and on in prayer using endless divine names and special prayer formulas to ensure that God hears them. Now, there are some of you who are students right now, and I'm sure that none of you have ever done this, but when I was in my master's program, we had discussion posts that we had to do that had a minimum word requirement, and we had papers, assignments that also had a minimum word requirement. And I'll just tell you that I could begin a discussion post with far fewer words than what was required by the minimum. Some of you are like, could you preach a message with far fewer words? <laughs> Again, not the right place to laugh. 
But what would I do when I would sit down to do those assignments for my master's program? I would begin to add fluffy words to the discussion post because there was a minimum word requirement. And I'll just tell you that I'm grateful that when it comes to prayer, there is no minimum word requirement. I can't envision one time where God would look at any of his followers and say, I'm really sorry, that prayer wasn't fluffy enough. Your request, your prayer to me was too direct and to the point, and you needed to add a little more fluff, and since you didn't, I'm not going to listen to you. In the same token, for those of you who enjoy talking to God, I want you to know that God does have the time to listen to you. So there's no minimum requirement. And in regards to the minimum word requirement, uh, it's just not. And there's no maximum. He has time for you. First Peter chapter 5 says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. And so again, we go back to motive. The Gentiles pouted on because they thought it made them sound more spiritual. And Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles. And his criticism of their prayer is because he knows the heart of the Father, and he knows that babbling on unnecessarily is not capturing the attention of the Father. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 32, further along, in the same chapter that we're reading right here, it says, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Our heavenly Father knows our needs before we even speak them, and he cares. So Jesus says, I don't need you to make this public display for others to see, and I don't need you going on and on. An illustration of a powerful prayer we can find in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're not going to read it this morning, but as you're taking notes, you can write it down and read it on your own time. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you have Elijah, who in his melancholy way says, I'm the only prophet of the Lord left, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. And he challenges them to a showdown. And so they build two altars, and he says, whichever altar is consumed by whichever God, then that will be the God that we worship. And so he encourages the prophets of Baal to go first, and so they build their altar, and from morning until noon, they're crying out to their God, and of course, nothing is happening because they are crying out to an invisible, uh, made-up being that, of course, cannot hear or answer their prayers. And they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming louder. And Elijah says to them, he begins to taunt them. He says, maybe your God's on vacation, or maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to speak up, or maybe your God is in the bathroom. And so from morning until afternoon, these are the things that they're doing. They're yelling, they're trying to do anything. They're cutting themselves to get the attention of their God, and nothing happens. If you're Elijah, what are you going to do following this moment? What do you think it's going to take of you to be able to get God's attention for that altar to be consumed? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't go on like the Gentiles babbling and babbling. Instead, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 36, records his short prayer in verse 36 and 37. This is what he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. 
After this prayer, the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the altar and it consumed all of the, uh, the water around it. This simple prayer resulted in a supernatural move of God. This simple prayer resulted in a supernatural move of God. And I just want to say to some of you who feel limitations with your uh, perceived inadequacies when it comes to praying, that in this situation, a simple prayer led to a supernatural move of God. And I believe that there are some prayers inside some of you that if you would just cry out to God, that simple prayer will lead to a supernatural move of God. I want to believe that with you. Jesus says, don't go on and on like the Gentiles. Instead, pray like this. And he gives a prayer to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and a model of prayer. I mean, if you could recite it, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this prayer, we see the balance between God's glory and our needs. It's a prayer for us to pray as well as a model of how we should pray. And in verse 5 and in verse number 7, there's this an assumption. There's an assumption by Jesus that followers of him would be people of prayer. He doesn't say in verses 5 and 7, if you pray, then do this. Instead, he starts verses 5 and 7 with when you pray. His assumption is that you would be praying, not if. And the next section begins with the same assumption. In verse number 16, on this different spiritual practice of fasting, he says, and when you fast. There's an assumption that his followers would be people who fast in the same way that they are people who pray. And he again gives us an illustration of what to do and what not to do. He says, don't look all gloomy and disfigure your face for others to see when you're fasting. Fasting sometimes was an expression of grief or mourning, a mark of remorse or penitence, or a simple sign of humility before God. And so as such, people sometimes when they were fasting would wear sackcloth, they would uh, alter their appearance, they would put ash on their face, they would not bathe, and they, so they'd smell bad, and they would look sad. And they did this to bring attention onto themselves of, look at me, look at me, I'm fasting. And Jesus says, so they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. And he pushes back against it and he says, don't do that. They wanted people to see them. People saw them and that was their reward. And Jesus says, when you fast, do normal things. Take a shower. Look at normal. Smell normal so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but may be seen by your Father in secret, and the one who sees you in secret will reward you. Some of you might uh, wonder how we can be talking about a corporate 21 days of prayer and fasting when Jesus is commanding us to keep this private. And I'll just tell you, there's this tension that's here. After first service, uh, there was a, a, a young lady who said to me, Pastor, uh, do you want to know what I'm fasting? And there was this tension, like, what do I do in this moment? Do I encourage the faith of a young girl in our congregation and encourage her along in that discipline that might be new to her? Or do I say, oh, don't tell me it's a secret between you and God? And so I was navigating this tension. I don't even know how to respond. What do I do? And she goes, I'm going to fast school. (laughs) 
So here we are talking as a church, and we're going to go on Facebook with 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Pastor Dan talked about this morning, a prayer focus each day. And again, I think it all comes back down to motive. We're not doing 21 days of prayer and fasting for those outside our church to look at us and go, look at how spiritual they are. They're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. Instead, it's just a call as a church to those inside the church to practice a spiritual discipline that Jesus expected his followers to do. And how are we going to practice something and how are we going to do something that we've not heard about? And so this morning is an effort to teach on the things that Jesus values And to say collectively, let's go on this journey together and let's check our motives, right? This isn't for others to see, but it's for God to see and he's the one who rewards. Fasting is a spiritual discipline where we deny ourselves so that we can rely and trust in God more. Some, I realize that not everybody in this room can fast from food because of health reasons and, uh, or health requirements that limit you from that. And I just want to tell you that this fast is going to be between you and God. It's not to compare ourselves with others and what others are doing. Do what you believe that God is leading you to do. But here's what I know. All of us can fast something. And when we do, we're removing something from our life to create space for increased reliance on God. Fasting like prayer is an act of humility. We don't do it to draw attention to ourselves. Instead, we do it to draw attention to God. And so whether it's food or TV in the days ahead, I want to encourage you to remove something from your life and replace that and fill that with the power and the presence of God. Adele Calhoun provides some insights and practical pointers on fasting. She writes, fasting is not a magical way to manipulate God into doing our will. It's not a way to get God to be an accomplice to our plans. Neither is fasting a spiritual way to lose weight or control others. While fasting, we are one-on-one with God, offering him the time and attentiveness, attentiveness we might otherwise be giving to eating, shopping, or watching television. Fasting is an opportunity to lay down an appetite, an appetite for food, for media, for shopping. This act of self-denial may not seem huge, but it brings us face-to-face with the hunger at the core of our being. So as we go into this fast that begins tomorrow, there are three things that that I want you to consider. One is this. I want you to set an objective for your fast. Why are you going to do this? And in that, I would encourage you to declare your dependence on God by giving him the first of our year, right? This is what we're doing as we approach this. Ask for forgiveness for self-indulgence. Undoubtedly, many of us ate more and spent more than we should have this Christmas season. Refocus on the eternal, the things that matter. Invite the presence of God in our lives and believe God for answers to specific needs. Secondly, I want to encourage all of us to decide what type of fast that you're going to do. And with that, I would encourage you not to negotiate the minimums. The goal is not to find the easiest thing that we can give up so that then we can receive a participation trophy for being a part of it, right? You're going to get out of these 21 days of prayer and fasting what you put into it. So it's not about comparing what others are doing to what you're doing. It's about what are you going to decrease and then replace that with time with God. And finally, I want to encourage you to expect results. That as we go on this journey, as you fast and pray for whatever that objective is, that at the end of it, that you'll see the results that you long for. Oprah Winfrey was asked what her favorite moments of the Oprah Winfrey show was. And she said it wasn't so much the big shows or the celebrities or the big giveaways or the surprises. She said it was the quiet conversations. 
She said it was the episode of an 11-year-old named Kate and her older brother, Zach, that joined her on the show shortly after their mother passed away. Prior to their death, their parents decided to spend their mom's last months taking trips. And Oprah asked this 11-year-old girl of her favorite moment of all of those trips, of all they experienced in those few moments, what was her favorite moment? And the answer might surprise you. She said, one day when I was coming back from swimming, my mom asked me for a bowl of cereal. And I took her that bowl of cereal, and, and, and I said to my mom, this 11-year-old girl says to her mom, Mom, if you get up in the middle of the night to eat a bowl of cereal, would you wake me up? Shortly before the mom passed, she woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. She woke her daughter up, and they went downstairs to eat Cheerios together. And Oprah said, quote, the family had been everywhere together. But what stayed with Kate was an everyday intimate moment between a mother and a daughter. Clint texted me this after the first service. He says that 11-year-old gave up, fasted, her comfort, sleep, and likely how she wouldn't feel refreshed the next day in exchange for intimate time with her mother. He says, when we draw closer, our father will not regret what we give up. She made a short-term sacrifice for a long-term reward, and she'll always have that memory and not regret. It's a good word. There are multiple ways that we create memories with God. There are a multitude of ways that we spend time with him. Prayer and fasting, I know this is a horrible analogy with this story because one's talking about food and the other doesn't, but I'm just going to go with it. Prayer and fasting is like having a bowl of breakfast with God. It's an everyday intimate moment. To pray is to know God and be known by him, and God's not checked out or aloof when we spend time with him. He's never distracted when he's spending time with us. And in this season of prayer and fasting, I want to encourage you to remove whatever distractions you need to and have some everyday meaningful moments between you and your Heavenly Father. And as you do, you'll find that God will be fully present, fully engaged, and fully connected. And I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you say, today I want to begin this new year with a relationship with Jesus. I want to be a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, Three, lift them up all across this room. Let's stand all across this room. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask that you would repeat this after me and meet it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying this morning. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward 
to live for you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer in person or online, we'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today to follow Jesus. We leave time at the end of each service for, uh, for prayers, uh, for people to experience prayer. And so today, if you've come and you have a prayer request, the worship team's about to lead us in a song. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I would encourage you, when I say amen, and the worship team begins to lead out in that song, that you would step out of your seat and come forward for prayer if you need prayer for anything today. God, we thank you so much for your word. Jesus, we thank you for the examples that you gave us today and how we should pray and how we should fast and how we should not pray and how we should not fast. And so this morning we start with a desire to ask for forgiveness for the times when we've not measured up to your expectations when it comes to prayer and fast. God, we ask for forgiveness for that. And Lord, we pray that you would help us over the next 21 days, that as we find our place of solitude, our place with just you, that we would know you in a deeper and a richer and a sweeter way than ever before. God, I pray for those that spiritual disciplines have simply been something that's been approached with, uh, with not excitement and without joy, that over the next 21 days, that their time spent with you would fly by because of the joy that comes from spending time in your presence. Lord, we pray for those that are setting specific objectives to the next 21 days of prayer and fasting, that they would experience the results that they're believing you for. And so God, for those that need breakthrough or healing or provision or miracles or whatever it is, restoration, God, we pray that you would, ex that you would meet those needs exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever dream, ask, or imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.